And welcome back to the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, that guy named John, and I am joined for the first time in 2017 by Dr. Andy. Howdy. And Dr. Andy has been sick recently, so... As as recently as right now, in fact. (laughs) Okay, very true. As the present day. So, if he is a little sniffly or coffee, we we apologize. I totally apologize ahead of time. And depending on how much effort I want to put into editing this, we'll see how much of that stays in the finished product. There's only so much you can take out, trust me. That is very true. So, uh, before we get into the show, which we're going to talk about a couple things on this episode, we're going to take a look back at 2016, at some of our favorites, and then we're going to talk about La La Land and Fences. But before we do that, uh, I wanted to give uh, some recognition to some new five-star reviews that this podcast has garnered. iTunes is crazy, and it never alerts me when people leave new reviews. So if you are a subscriber on iTunes and you leave a five-star review, send me a tweet uh, to about to at about to review and let me know because I never know until I check these. So, uh, and if you leave a five-star review, I will read it on the air like I'm going to do right now. So the first one is from KDiz81. It says, long time lurker, first time reviewer. Interesting, funny, and well produced. Did, you... did they say specifically Andy? Andy mm, is well produced, me... funny. Nope, no. nope, mm-mm, sorry. Uh, next one <laughs> Next one is from Teensy Dino. And it says, well-rounded. Going above and beyond just a movie review podcast, ATR is filled with interesting and unique takes on a host of various geek-centric topics. I like that one. Yeah, that was a good one. And uh, let me see I, again. I give that review five stars. Mm, yep, no review, no uh, mention of Andy. Dang. Uh, <laughs> and then the last one, and these are all on iTunes. Uh, this one is from... Uh, oh my God, just accept my nickname. Uh... <laughs> And the review is, the show is delightfully geeky, and John's humor and passion for the topics really comes through. The variety of topics and interesting guests make it worth subscribing. Your mom is so sweet. Uh, right. You think my mom actually knows how to get on a podcast app and leave a review? <laughs> that is adorable. Uh, those are the ones on iTunes, and I do have one on Stitcher, which is another platform, stitcher.com slash about review, I think. You can find it on there. Uh, five stars by Gonzo Dork saying, Fun! A fun and engaging podcast. By engaging, in quotes, I mean I often want to be able to jump in and join the group. If you're a pop culture aficionado with even a passing interest in film, comics, and games, I highly recommend About to Review. Wow. So, excellent. Yeah, I, I definitely am flattered by all of that. Considering this podcast started just kind of as on on a whim, I really appreciate that, yeah, people are enjoying it and liking it enough to leave some five-star reviews. And, yeah, that is awesome. So keep up the great work, those people who are reviewing Whoop. things. And we will keep doing what you're doing and providing some insightful uh, stuff. Keep up the geek work, John. Well, I think, ooh, I should trademark that. Yeah. Keep up the geek work. 
Gotta write that down. Thrilling. This is the thrilling part of the podcast where John writes stuff right. down. Cool. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, I wanted to dive right in to the past of 2016, the long ago past of 2016. It seems like it was only yesterday. It w- Yeah, weird. It almost was Imagine that. Wasn't it? Imagine yeah. that. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, there are three options when it comes to how to rate a film, a movie, or a film, or a movie. That, that, <laughs> that is how broad this podcast is. If we review films and also movies. Also talkies. Yeah. yeah well, Andy, you actually remember when the talkies came out. So, um, And yeah, so we have three rating systems, three ratings for this system. Man, I'm rusty. <laughs> You would think, oh no, it was last week. Anyway, so the three options are good, bad, and ugly. So a good film, a good TV show, good comic book, whatever it is, is something that you would recommend to a friend that you really enjoyed. A bad is something you did not necessarily hate it, but it might not be the first thing that jumps into your mind to recommend to somebody. Ugly, avoid at all costs. So with the good, bad, and ugly... I wanted to talk about some movies in 2016 that were the goodest of the good, the baddest of the bad, and the ugliest of the ugly. I'm going to jump in right <laughs> here and say that having the baddest of the bad under your system makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. They, what yeah. you're suggesting is like the averagest of the average. So I'm going to take a slightly different tag. So carry on, John. Okay. Carry on. So, and, and, and I agree. It, of those three, the baddest of the bad... Seems weird. So let me explain. The Baddest of the Bad will be a film that was maybe the most disappointing. That's something that either we had some high hopes for and it did not live up to that or it just overall we wanted more from it. So that is kind of where my mindset was for the baddest of of the bad. But yeah, it is a little bit confusing, but I think we will we'll get through it. So do you want to start? Yeah, well, where would you like me to start, John? Hmm. Don't, how about we go the ugliest of the ugly? Well, that, that's, that's... Actually, no, we, e- should, we should build up to that. We should build <laughs> okay, up to that. Okay, please, let's... So, all right, just start, fine. Start from the top. The goodest of the good. Now, disclaimer, these might not be the, you know, the best film of 2016 or whatever. It just, it was the one that we thought stood above the rest. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, I'm going to completely ignore that, however. Fair okay, enough. so goodest of the good. Now, now 2016 was a really quite unusual year for me because I, while I like a good laugh with the best of them, mm-hmm. normally I, I don't find comedy films to be in my top 10 of any particular movie. It's like animation films. They don't tend to win mm-hmm. Oscars for me comedies don't tend to win best films of the year or in this case goodest of the good films right thank you so 2016 is a little weird in that when john mentioned so oh get find your goodest of the good i said okay well here's my list and i'm not going to cut down anymore so i've got like about eight different films that i'm going to mention i'm going to go through them really quickly though okay and but quite a few of them i'm surprised are comedies so interesting 
my my uh, goodness of the good, just regular common garden uh, comedy film was Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a oh, New right. Zealand uh, film, kind of a heartwarming story of sort of uh, some people oddball characters I mean sort of I mm-hmm. think New Zealand may be filled with oddball characters but these are some of the oddballest of the oddball characters um, it was touching it was funny uh, overall I mean without being schmaltzy I mean the the potential for schmaltz in this story was Real fairly high. significant mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't go down that too far which I really appreciated so it was and it was it was funny it wasn't like oh my god I'm dying of laughter funny but it was generally funny all the way through and and didn't have any major flat spots so okay that was my general goodest of the good was, comedy was it Taika Waititi I think you directed that one I'm I gonna like, I'm gonna like go with you on that one because I didn't write it down for this particular edition <laughs> um, my best action comedy and I, f- I feel bad about this because normally I don't like these kind of things but Deadpool was very funny yes. it was full of action nice. good uh, my my favourite romantic comedy my favourite rom-com was uh, oh sorry what <laughs> was one of your favourites too John Ooh. I think Sing Street oh um, okay yep. lovely nice music uh, touching funny not too much schmaltz mm-hmm. um, and my two weird comedies uh, of you know best goodest of the good w- weird comedies were and this is tied because I really couldn't say which one I preferred okay. better was the lobster, okay, which Colin is the Farrell. Colin Farrell movie done very deadpan and was just like again very very different. It's not something that you would have, you know. I mean, it just wasn't a Hollywood type movie, mm-hmm. and and another one which wasn't a, a Hollywood type movie was Swiss Army Man. Uh, Interesting. I think both of those are A24 films also. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, again, some big stars in, in both movies uh, in doing fairly unusual things. Things take them slightly out of mm-hmm. out of their norm. I mean, Colin Farrell normally more of a, um, a, a serious kind of like mm-hmm. actor um, on the one hand doing... I mean, okay, he's not... Again, he's he's playing it very flat, but this mm-hmm. is definitely a comedy. Um, whereas Swiss Army Man, we have Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano. Uh, again, definitely out. I mean, sort of, when are you going to find Daniel Radcliffe as a flatulent corpse throughout mm-hmm. an entire movie? It's it, This is probably the one time that he's played that. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> some people I might think, say some of his safe. Harry Potter films, he it was a bit of a flatulent corpse. Rude. But no, no, <laughs> only in Swiss Army Man. So those are my comments. And, and you see, there was quite a few of them. Um, favorite shorts of the year. I'm going to go back to the, our 48-hour film festival mm. from Seattle. Mm-hmm. There was two I really, really liked. One was Juska. It was amazingly well-produced, oh, directed. Uh, cinematography was fantastic. And all created in 48 hours. Really hard to believe. Couldn't, uh, like Andy and I talked about it on that episode. If you go back, it was you know early on. But man, like watching that film, you would think that this was a production that had been going on for a while. This was 48 hours. Yeah. So huge, huge props. I mean, it's only, a, only like a six-minute film, but I mean, mm-hmm. sort of packed with visuals and so amazingly done very good mm-hmm. uh, and the other one from from the 48 hour film festival was One Step Too Far which I think is the one which actually won did. the Seattle uh, edition uh, really funny unexpected amazingly well acted brilliant film little short film okay and then da 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 Again, 2016, I didn't think was that fantastic for uh, dramas for me, which is, again, a bit of a surprise. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go with my favourite drama of the year being Manchester by the Sea. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, even though you completely disregarded I did. Th this uh, system that I created, uh, I do like your choices. I think that, that those were all solid, and especially, like, you know, giving some shout-out to those local films that we saw at the 48-Hour Film Festival, uh, David Hogan, Angela DeMarco, just the, the Mighty Tripod production is is solid. Like, the, that was really good. That's one step too far, yeah. Yes, one step too far. They actually film a palooza. Uh, they made it to that next round. Uh, uh -huh. So film a palooza, they will be showing it there. If they win that, I think they go to Venice. So nice. good yeah. luck, Mighty yeah. Tripod, Team Mighty Tripod. Um, okay, so to my... So, yeah, what, what did you come <laughs> up with? What Your one film. My one, one film. goodness of the good. Let's not... You, shot, you can't break your own rules, John. No, why would I? No. Uh, so I have seven. No, <laughs> no I, did, I went with one because I just, I, you know, there there are a bunch, or there were a bunch in 2016 that were solid. Uh, but my goodest of the good, 2016, Moonlight, directed by Barry Jenkins. This is a beautiful film for so many reasons. You can hear me gush on about it on a few episodes ago with uh, Tim Hall, the People's Critic. Uh, I said it then. I have said it multiple times. This is one of the most important films of this generation. This film is gorgeously shot, really simplistically shot, but gorgeously shot. The acting is phenomenal. And not often, as much as Andy and I love movies, not often does a film come out that truly needs to be made. This movie needed to be made and people need to see this type of story portrayed because it does not happen that often so incredible incredible film we rarely need another world war ii movie guess what we know what happens as amazing as dunkirk looks and that is a battle that not many people know about cool whatever we get not it many people know about okay not many oh, americans okay. come on now thank you uh, so, but yeah, we just having another World War II movie, having another rom com, having another movie filled with people from SNL is not really needed. Moonlight is a film that needed to be made and needed needs to be seen. So, absolutely, that that is my goodest of the good. Moonlight. All right. Moving down the list to the baddest of the bad, <laughs> which again. <laughs> We, we will summarize as as maybe the most uh, disappointing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, it may, makes sense because I suggested it in the first place. <sighs> Rude. Jeez, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what we call collaboration. <laughs> uh, Don't ask me if it makes sense. Eh? Yeah, true. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I, I think I have one fairly clear candidate for this one. Okay. Um, because I am a fairly large fan of uh, the Coen brothers. Mm -hmm. um, I, I haven't liked... I haven't gushed over every single film that they've made but they've consistently made films which have been very watchable mm -hmm. fun well put together well acted a novel um and just generally all over goodness um so <clears throat> i had great expectations for hail caesar and i they were not met I and mean, it was still i mean it was still probably rate as a good film by mm -hmm. our rating system 
but 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 it was a big disappointment because gotcha. it didn't go places it had bits which were completely unconnected i my main memory of was the scarlett johansson uh section of the film which was like well i don't know why they put that in there other than they had a bigger budget than they expected so they thought they better do a musical number in the water kind of thing mm. there, there, there was no other reason for it than that and then i could see that happening in some other films but it didn't seem to fit in with a coen brothers film so um again i liked it it was it was good but it was disappointing so it would it would be a bad it would drop from a good to a bad in this rating system because it was disappointing. Sold. All right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Moving on. So, so my bad, and again, things that were disappointing that could have gone places, that could have done some really cool things. Uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, yeah. So yeah. this movie, <laughs> I, I mean, in the studio where we record, there are a bunch of comic books, thousands, literally thousands of comic books. So I would, this is a movie that I should have been over the moon. This is something that should have been a lifelong dream to come to reality. And it failed. It, it just, it, it just did not work there. It was so confusing. There was just too many plot holes, too little development too little just heart in this movie and so it is not an ugly because it still has some moments action ha has some great action some action that does not make any sense yeah. well, why does superman fall for the kryptonite twice whatever um he's not as smart as everybody thinks he is no and so this movie yeah it just like in terms of disappointing movies movies that i thoroughly i gave a bad that was way back on our second episode <laughs> um, because it just it just failed on so many accounts. Uh, Lex Luthor was just so, so terrible. And they could have redeemed it. And I probably talked about this way back then. They could have redeemed the Lex Luthor character showing all of his eccentricities and going all over the place if they had given us two minutes of him being completely serious. And to show that dichotomy, to show like that Clark Kent Superman dichotomy where it was like, this is the character that I need everyone to see so they do not know who I really am. They did not give us that. <laughs> and it was just a mess. It was a huge, huge mess. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the only reason why it wouldn't even have come into my view as a, a baddest bad is because my expectations were nearly as high as yours were. And I, I know that you had very, very high expectations. Mm -hmm. So I'm so sorry for you, John. You, so you should be. Thank you. I, I kind of blame you <laughs> for some reason. I'm not sure why, but uh, my connections with the studio. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah. So that, that was my, my baddest of, of the bad. Just Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Now, why don't you go into your ugliest of the ugliest ugly, of John? the ugly? Yeah, just uh, just follow on. I will. So back to back, the ugliest of the ugly film of 2016. Not only, and this is one that I did not review on the podcast because I I could not. Like it, it was so so terrible. This is not only one of the ugliest movies of 2016. This is one of the ugliest movies I have ever seen. It is Masterminds, starring Zach Galifianakis, Kristen Wiig, Leslie Jones, 
Pick an SNL person who has been in 17 movies in the past two years. They were in this. It sounds like the kind of movie that should be a laugh riot if shallow and forgettable. Um, it was one of those. Actually, no. Unfortunately, it was not either one of those because I do remember this movie, so it was not forgettable, and it was not a laugh riot. Like, it just... So, okay. So the story, <laughs> for those people who have not seen it or have never heard of it, there's probably a good reason for that. So this is based off of a real story of a like a Welsh Fargo or Loomis Fargo armored car driver who successfully completed one of the largest uh, heists in American history as far as dollar amount. So that sounds kind of cool. I like a good caper. This movie is atrocious. Zach Galifianakis, his choices in this movie, both physical characteristics, physical mannerisms, his voice, everything about it was painful. It was painful to watch. It made no sense. And then the rest of the cast was just ridiculous. Uh, and again, Leslie Jones, Kristen Wiig, all these people. This made me not want to see any other SNL-type movie ever again. Which is sad, because I mm -hmm. think this, this crop of SNL folks are way above the Adam Sandler, David Spade oh, generation totally. of SNL. I, I disagree only because that was my first generation of SNL. Oh my God. That was when I first kind of came into it. Yeah. The Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, um, yeah, Rob Schneider, like that was kind of mine. But with this, so this had 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is 29 percentage points more than it should have. <laughs> the reason I will give it one percentage point, if you go out there and you make a movie, you get one percentage point. It is like spelling your name right on a quiz in school. I will give you the respect that you did a thing. Congratulations. This movie needs to die in a fire. No better than that. <clears throat> I mean, it just... And you know what is bad? When a movie is supposed to come out a year before it actually gets released... Like, this movie was supposed to come out in August 2015. It was pushed to October 2015. It finally came out September of 2016. Like, they shelved this movie. And then finally they got a little bit of money and they were like, all right, fine. We, we'll just kind of release it. it well, that, that's one reason why they would do that. That's not the only reason why they yeah. get this pushback. But it just, it did not make its money back. It failed at the box office. This movie is atrocious an absolute just travesty of film i left the theater just angry <laughs> because well, it was what so i'm bad. pleased about it though is that sort of it, it had lots of big names and so just by the names you should have expected it to do fairly well at, at least, least in the first couple of weeks yeah. of things but it didn't so i that that makes me feel good that people actually do sometimes pay attention to reviews of, of things like yeah please this is a terrible movie don't waste your money on it and people won't always waste their money on really terrible mm -hmm. movies yeah so avoid avoid that movie at all costs all right. yours ugliest of the ugly while you may think that masterminds was the worst movie of 2016 mm -hmm. i actually do have the ugliest ugly movie of <laughs> oh, 2016 yes I, I absolutely do and i think you know what it is because we it was one of the ones that, that got talked about on mm -hmm. about to review and it is the thai movie island funeral <laughs> i'm not going to go over this more than i have to john because um 
yeah, I, 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 I honestly, I feel bad because it's like you said, you know, people, the people who made this, maybe this was some, you know, a labor of love, mm -hmm. and it, you know, they had to bleed to get the money to make this, and it may have been so difficult to make because of all the problems <laughs> with the government or the, but it was just a terrible, 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 terrible movie made even worse by the fact that it got some decent reviews in yeah. the press in sort of like the the the, um, the indie, hollywood press yeah the, the indie scene yeah terrible movie uh listen to our uh, uh, uh podcast on it because i think i spent uh, about half an hour talking about all the terrible things in this movie and why it was such a, an awful awful movie and i would put i would be prepared to put two sets of people in a, a movie theater mm -hmm. with masterminds and uh island funeral running consecutively and the people would pay money to watch to leave the theater masterminds <laughs> again you know in comparison to having to watch the rest of island funeral it's that painful see and that i think and i, and I yes I, I remember your opinions on that vividly that was back on our sif 2016 episode like episode 12 or something um I think with that one, they were just, they were trying to do something different. They were trying to do something unique. With Masterminds, they were trying to do the same type of SNL formula and those jokes that just went nowhere. And so, oh, it is painful. Because, like, with both of these, good job. You made a movie. Not only did you make a movie, you released it, it got some press, but why? Like, ugh. The jokes in Masterminds, I maybe laughed once or twice. Like, it was we just... We see, there you go. Masterminds has some redeeming uh, feature that you managed to get a chuckle once or twice. I didn't get a single... I mean, I only got un, unforced chuckles from like, oh my God, I can't believe... This is actually I just happening. said that, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I, again, apologies to independent small filmmakers from um, from other countries that... that... <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean, honestly, there are so many amazing films that come mm -hmm. from other countries. And I, I, I would hate the idea that somebody went to Seattle International Film Festival or, or one of the other film festivals where this was shown and said to themselves after they saw that, I'm only ever going to see Hollywood movies from now on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because then they get stuck seeing Masterminds, of course. <laughs> hey, a couple of other things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I forgot that... I, sh I wanted to throw in my in my goodest of good films. Mm -hmm. I wanted to throw in um, my Deliverance Prize winner of mm. the of 2016, which is Green Room. Really like that. I really did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a movie that I'm sorry that I didn't get to see in 2016, and it may not be as interesting and weird as I, as I am expecting it to be when I finally do get around to seeing it, presumably in 2017. Mm -hmm. And that is a movie called A Space Program. It's a just, space program. Yeah, it's just a really weird sounding thing. It's an artist, Tom Sachs, creates um, a a space program to send two uh, astronauts to Mars, and they make this space program out of various bric-a-brac boxes and, mm. and things like that, and they film it. It's kind of like almost like a performance art thing. It could okay. be really, really bad, but it could be really, really good. Sounds interesting. I mean, yeah. again, at least it sounds interesting. Yep. Um, I guess I, I will throw in one other from my, from my goodest of good movies that is again from SIF from the Seattle Independent Film Festival and it is on Netflix right now International Spice. Film Festival what did I say? you said independent oh right I was thinking of Stiff 
right? <laughs> um, so it is called Spy Time. Spy Time is this amazing <laughs> Spanish action comedy uh, that is tremendous. So again, I talked about that back on our SIF episodes. I actually talked to the director of it. So check out Spy Time. It is a really, really fun movie. And yeah, there, there we go. So we can move on to All right. the big... Happy New Year, 2017. <laughs> yeah, we're now in the future. <coughs> Although we're, we're going to be reviewing films from 2016. Yeah, true. Uh, um, all right. So the two new films that we're going to talk about, because we would not be good critics, you know, dare we call ourselves, uh, to not talk about you these two films. could have just finished films. that sentence right there. We would not be good critics. <laughs> Carry on. Sorry. How sorry. dare yeah. you? <laughs> uh, without talking about these next two movies which are La La Land and Fences. These movies each are cleaning up at every award ceremony that is going on. I mean, like, we have the Golden Globes, or not Golden Globes, uh, Critics' Choice coming up next weekend, um, and then we have the Oscars next month. Like, both of these movies are getting every accolade from every publication. Are they worth it? Find out now. So... And you don't want me to actually say right now, do you? Because no. we're going to talk about no, that. That would be ridiculous. First. Okay. So first on the docket is La La Land. Now, this movie is written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who I may or may not be pronouncing that right. Um, he also wrote and directed Whiplash from a couple years ago that also cleaned up the award circuit, gave J.K. Simmons his first and, you know, highly needed Oscar I say that because he is a phenomenal actor, and they finally gave him some credit. He did win for Best Actor, right? Uh, I think it was... Was it Supporting Actor? Or Yeah, Supporting. So this guy, Damien Chazelle, knows what he is doing. Uh, this movie, basically, it is a... If you have seen the trailers, it is a romantic musical. Just kind of about a, a struggling musician and a struggling actress in Hollywood. Just kind of trying to make it. And then they stumble into this relationship and hijinks ensue um this movie I, I will say right off the bat and i've touched on this on some other episodes i grew up in theater i love theater i love musical theater i love performance theater so this movie hooked me right away in the intro within the first minute of the movie they go into a crazy musical number in the middle of a highway dancing singing you have people doing parkour over cars just kind of you know big and bold musical set piece right in the beginning uh, very much like um, Moulin Rouge really yeah exactly and that, that is the thing is like this movie had some challenges in that modern musicals have have struggled quite a bit even the ones that are stage adaptations like Les Mis <clears throat> Les Mis you know was this big bold thing that was successful at the box office but that was about it well, which is why this was a throwback to mm -hmm. the musicals of the uh, 50s and 60s really oh for sure no this is in the truest sense a love letter to old Hollywood although uh, we should point out that it is sent, set in a contemporary period yes. right now yep this is set right now but yeah it is a love letter to old Hollywood both with the set design with the locations like, they even walk through some of, you know, old Hollywood um, backlots where some of these movies were filmed. So, like, 
there were those touching moments that really kind of like, all right, this is a really good handshake to old Hollywood. But what were your thoughts kind of as the movie started, Andy? Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, uh, I have a, I, I don't say, I wouldn't say a love hate. I'd say more of a hate love relationship with, with musicals. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't That'd say that. I, I know. I don't hate them all. I do. I do love some musicals. Um, but I, I am ready with a trigger finger to, to hate musicals. Hmm. Um, because they can go so very, very badly yes. wrong. Um, this one was going to very much be based on do we do we get that romantic Hollywood charm? It, yeah, the charm, the charm mm -hmm. of it. And n that's number one. Number two, do we get the relationship between the two lead uh, actors, which uh, who are Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> the movie. A lot of the movies will will need to f center on do these two people have chemistry, and they do. Um, I I I I felt that they there was definitely an attraction uh, mm -hmm. between them, um, and that helped um, sort of support them as they went through some of the musical numbers. As it may not come as any great surprise to anybody, neither of these two leading actors of the movie are super fantastic singers or super fantastic dancers mm, I I will disagree slightly with when it comes to Ryan Gosling in that he is a mouseketeer like he, he grew up singing and dancing he has uh, his own band uh, and I even wrote that down uh, Dead Man's Bones so like as a as a musician it was it was much more it was much clearer to me that Ryan Gosling had more of a background in that. It could be the way that Emma Stone's character uh, was portrayed. Like the first couple of times we see her singing, it was almost muted compared to like the big and bold other people who were around her. Um, and so her, her voice was not as strong as some of the other characters or Ryan Gosling, like I, I felt his music I'm gonna to have to agree to disagree on that. I don't. Th again, I don't hmm. think that he has had a particularly strong voice. Maybe he was dumbing it down in order to not outshine Emma Stone too much. And I recognise his musicality. He's playing his own piano here, as far as Which, I can tell, and he's a pretty darn was, good <laughs> pianist. That was you know? impressive, and that was something that, again, watching it, I'm like, oh, okay, they could they could kind of fool their way around this. But the more I watched it, because especially that is one of my things when I see in movies people playing any instrument and you can tell that they have no idea what they're doing or they're just you know kind of strumming along watching Ryan Gosling like, on the piano I was like okay how are they doing this if this is not him and the more it went on I was like no this is him yeah. like he legitimately can play the piano yeah so, that, so that he, was, he has he has musical chops no doubt about it still not thinking that his singing and dancing are super fantastic they are very serviceable I'm, okay. I'm not saying that they aren't and I'm, the same with Emma Stone I mean mm -hmm. sort of she it got by in this it worked yeah. it worked mostly though because of the chemistry if they hadn't had the chemistry between them it would have started to get pretty painful pretty quickly I, that that makes total sense um, I, I think yeah if one person <laughs> was significantly better then yeah it would be weird but yeah they were they were mostly equal so it made a good pairing um, and that said like this movie is beautiful I mean, there is a reason that this movie is kind of picking up all of these awards for 
best director, best cinematography, the way this is shot and filmed is gorgeous. Is Everything it, looks really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really impressed with the visuals of this movie. I was impressed with the dancing in particular. Because again, this is not old Hollywood. You do not have the Cary Grants, the Rita Morenos, you know, doing this who are professional dancers at, from the stage. I was legitimately impressed with the dancing numbers of this. This was not just Hollywood dancing. Like these two really spent some time making it look effortless. And that was something when you watch those old musicals that I love so much, it looks effortless. You look at Cary Grant and it just, I mean, he also was a choreographer. He was a composer. He was so well-rounded. So with this movie, I was thoroughly impressed of how effortless they were able to go into those. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is if you bring up the standards of, of Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, Gene mm -hmm. Kelly, yep. that's where you start to say again, wow, those guys were fantastic dancers, and in comparison, these are not fantastic dancers. Mm -hmm. So, but Yeah, I think, I think in modern days, for a modern musical, what they were able to do and have it feel so organic was impressive. Yeah. So, and again, it goes back to the chemistry. You, you cannot, it would not have worked as well had these two not had chemistry, that. right. Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, going back to your Moulin Rouge thing, I never really felt that uh, between those two. And granted, they did not really have something where they danced together necessarily in like a big piece. But yeah, it, it really does show that you need that chemistry to make it believable, to have it just feel genuine. Mm. So here's one thing that I thought was I mean it wasn't a questionable decision for this movie it was it was probably the right decision but in terms of the selling points of the movie for me the focus on jazz mm -hmm. I mean it it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the movie the fact that it was such so focused on on jazz I liked it mainly just because I I grew up with jazz and I grew up listening to it and uh, I mean, even in college, I studied it. So, I mean, I liked that aspect of it. Um, but I could see that might not be everyone's, you know, cup of tea. Um, but yeah, like going back to kind of the, the musicality or the, the, the themes of this. One of the things with me growing up, performing in and watching musicals, a good musical to me is something where when you leave, you are singing the songs, you're humming the songs. This did not have that for me. Like other no, me other than the main theme that uh -huh. gets repeated, yep. uh, I think it is even called like Mia and Sebastian's theme on the soundtrack that gets repeated over and over throughout the movie. That I could hear in the next couple days, and other than that, this had a good six to eight like kind of bigger songs, and I, don't I had to look any of yeah, the songs. I had to look them up yeah. when, before I was doing this. I was like. Let me remind myself. So that... That's a problem. I know, yeah. But I, th I think that is... That goes along with the whole jazz thing. Is like things... Again, not being a jazz person. Right. They just don't tend to stand out as much, you know, individually. It, with the individuation. It's like when the, when the, the Ryan Gosling ca character explains jazz, he talks about, you know, how you, you're in there and then suddenly mm -hmm. something comes up and takes over like a trumpet takes over or the, the, the saxophone takes over but and then they kind of like ebb away again so it's difficult to maintain themes that are very standard in, in musicals uh, 
I, the musicals in which the, these, you know, sort of this wants to reflect upon mm-hmm. the movie, the musicals of the fifties and the sixties, which all have big standout songs. Yeah. And we can all think of, you know, songs and hum those songs again. I can't actually think of, I mean, the, yeah, the themes, but other than that, nothing really stood out, yeah. which is a problem for a musical. It really, it is a shame. <laughs> and it's just like it, and I don't necessarily think it was their fault in the sense of during the movie, I liked the songs. Uh, it was uh-huh. just after the movie, they were already gone. So, yeah, that that, that kind of would be one of my problems with the movie. Um, they're just kind of unfortunate. Um, but what I find interesting, and I always love it when this happens, whether it is a TV show or a movie. So uh, Emma Stone's character, Mia, uh, she, you know, in this is a struggling actress working at a coffee shop like 90% of LA and watching actors and actresses pretend to act I always find amazing so in this you see her go to some auditions and act and then immediately kind of go into her acting in the movie as her character Mia that is always awesome I get a kick out of that Uh, Andy mentioned Sing Street earlier uh, Ferdia Walsh Pilo, who played the main character in Sing Street, in the beginning of the movie, his voice is really rough, and you're like, ooh, this, this is going to be an off movie. Then you find out he has a band in real life <laughs> with the guy who is in the movie with him. They're both legitimately talented musicians. But to convince somebody that you do not know how to act or you are trying to act is impressive. So I get a kick out of that every time it happens. <laughs> Um, and yeah, Gosling is, is fantastic in it. Uh, I talked about the dancing. Um, one, one question for you. Is this the beginning or the end of the big Hollywood musical? Um, I'm, I, I can certainly imagine with the amount of success that it's been having so far that, that people are going to jump on this bandwagon because and, and, there's going to be money in this. As much as I would love to see a resurgence... Uh, of those old Hollywood staples. If we were to get a musical every year, I would be on board. If they're at least of this quality. And I think that was kind of a benefit that that golden age of musicals had where you had, I would say, a dozen stars who you could throw in any of these musicals and it would be a hit. These days, I am not sure if there's that core group of actors who can also sing who can dance, who can play an instrument. It just is not really the type of actors that, that we have these days, that that caliber. You're saying Russell Crowe can't sing? Oh, man. That was <laughs> real painful in Les Mis. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just I think that will be the struggle. Would I love to see it? Yes. Am I worried about it if it goes down that path? Yes. All right, watch this space. Yeah. Um, the other thing in here, other than Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, there are not really any other big names except for this is not a spoiler uh john legend is in this movie as a bandmate a former bandmate of ryan gosling's character sebastian why like if they're trying to like this movie already had some musical chops i'm not sure why they chose john legend or why john legend chose to be in this movie to kind of like lend an air of legitimacy 
it was just kind of maybe he just wanted to be in a movie and they he was available and they said yeah we'd love to have you and that'll be that'll add to our cachet I don't yeah. I mean you know I, I, <laughs> I again yeah I agree he didn't need to be in it it could have been any in. fairly anonymous musician-y type person mm-hmm. who could have filled this, as soon as he, this role as soon as he shows up in the movie you're like oh wait this is at a modern day is this actually going to be John Legend so that, that was just kind of an, an odd choice but as far as musicians wanting to do a movie I'm glad he did it and not Common because it seems like if you give Common $20 he will show up on your movie set and want to be in your movie <laughs> I love you Common but come on now stop it so yeah that was just kind of an odd choice for John Legend um I think that is it other than like the last five minutes which it felt to me totally ham-fisted like all right guys we have x amount of money left Andy kind of touched on this earlier with a different movie we have x amount of money left how about we do one more musical number and then they kind of rushed through this musical number in the last five minutes with another song and dance for kind of no reason i felt that was kind of odd um but yeah every every movie needs a final big musical number it did, but the way that this one was tracking, it was weird what they did in that final number and how it correlated to the main story. But, yeah. yeah. Anyway, how All are right. you writing this one? Are you writing this a good, a bad, or an ugly, John? So, uh, officially, and we already kind of talked about the rating system, good, bad, and ugly. So, for the first rating of 2017, even though it is moving from 2016, <laughs> uh, I will be giving La La Land a good. I, I really enjoyed it. It was beautiful the music albeit forgettable after the movie was enjoyable in the course of the film uh ryan gosling and emma stone had fantastic chemistry it was believable uh yeah w- without without any question i gave this a good yeah okay how about you right. um uh, i'm not gonna give it quite such an enthusiastic good because again it's a musical and for me a musical <laughs> means that the music has to stand yeah. out mm-hmm. so it's a it's a, a passable uh passable good for me i, I mean I, I again this is the kind of thing which i can see it could win tons of yeah. awards more than it already has <laughs> more than it already has but i did, did i think it stood out in terms of musicals no uh did i think the acting was any better than uh, a lot some other movies from this year no so it's 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 a starting point for a renaissance of musicals Okay, excellent. So there you have it. Uh, for La La Land, Andy and I both gave it a good. So now that we did La La Land, we will move on to the next movie, which is Fences. Andy, how about you uh, You kick this one off? Well, this one is a film, I mean, I, I'm trying to avoid any spoilers because I don't know that there there are any spoilers for this. This is a movie based on a play by a playwright called August Wilson. Um, rather than rather than talk about story, I'm going mm-hmm. to talk about themes or mention themes. I'm going to talk okay. about failed dreams. I'm going to talk about changing times. I'm going to talk about generational tensions in families. But more than anything else, I have to mention the word race. Mm-hmm. Race is very much at the center of this movie. Um, this is a movie set in mid-1950s an African-American family in Pittsburgh with uh, Denzel Washington as the father, Viola Davis as a mother 
and uh, a cast of other family members who all play important parts uh, in the tensions in this family mm -hmm. uh, as as it grows and explodes one might almost say um, it's an incredibly theatrical movie and guess what that is not much of a surprise <laughs> mm -hmm. because why John so this is based off of a play uh, that originally came out in the 80s uh, by August Wilson and James Earl Jones actually played the the main character Troy Maxson on stage for the first couple years so the reason that this feels like theater is not only because it was based on a very successful play but in 2010 there was a revival of this play which starred Denzel Washington as Troy Maxson Viola Davis as Rose Maxson uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson as Jim Bono so in 2010 when they revived this they already had an all-star cast um, Stephen McKinley Henderson I definitely want to give him some props he played Mr. Bono in the film and he played Mr. Bono on stage he actually worked with August Wilson on some of his other plays back in the day and is a very very established and well-respected stage actor so this movie <laughs> in the first act I will say really felt like a play which to me it was okay but it was still a little bit odd you think Okay, just a, you think it, only in the first act this seemed like it got a better. play? It got better. It got less noticeable, but in the first okay. act, the way that they blocked this movie was the same way you would block the play. The way they shot this movie. I mean, so that was that was something that was very noticeable uh, in the first act. So if you go into this movie and you're noticing that, I mean, that just it is it is a reality. But it gets it gets better. You get more used to it. Um, and I think a huge success of this movie was getting Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, Stephen McKinley Henderson, like back to do this movie. And he has wanted to, Denzel Washington has been wanting to do a movie of this since back then. So there had been talks about it. Uh, but yeah, that is why it, it feels like theater, very minimal set pieces. There is a house, a backyard, a front porch and uh, Troy Maxson's workplace at the rubbish yard. That is about it. In the play, the stage play, realistically, I think there are only two sets. I think you have the backyard and house and maybe the front porch. Like, that, that is kind of it. Uh -huh. So I think they nailed the aesthetic of the play without needing to deluge it with a bunch of on-set locations and a huge budget. I think they, they did what they needed to do in keeping the spirit of the play uh yeah without doubt i mean to, to me it almost seemed like a staging of a play mm -hmm. in front of their cameras mm -hmm. uh, during daytime for the most part um yeah and which is for me is one of the one of the problems of the movie is that it, you know it makes you think gosh i'd wish i'd actually seen this in the playhouse yeah. with these actors doing what they're doing and yes it's great that more people can see them do this mm -hmm. but this is not a play this is a film and it needed more polish like a, a more willing suspension of disbelief <laughs> yeah. And, yeah I mean that's the thing is like so like theater acting is quite different from film Absolutely. acting you're bigger you're louder you're broader 
and you have to be on point and you can't take takes and takes and takes mm -hmm. and takes with which is what you can do you can do all kinds of different clever things when you're making a film that you don't have the luxury of when you're doing theater and i think i, I know they maybe wanted to retain the purity of mm -hmm. the play in this but it just kind of like made me think uh eh, play this is a play this is a play i should just see the play yeah i could see that and i think i think there could have been an opportunity granted this is not as big when this cast is in it in 2010 as it is now but every time you go to a theater for the most part if you go to a big chain theater they will be showing clips for like the phantom events which are now showing you can go to the movie theater and watch a play they do it all over the world so you can watch operas you can watch plays Andy is totally right and it was something that I had not really thought about if I could have gone to a theater and watched the stage version of this it would have been even better than than seeing this movie but that being said the way that they film it it feels authentic I think that there were minimal takes um, as you would get with a normal movie and that is established by a lot of what the characters are doing there is a scene where Viola Davis, who is one of the best in the business, is crying. She has some of the most powerful tears and the most powerful and believable and authentic just emotions. You could tell that was all one take. Even though they cut back and forth a little bit um, to the other character in the scene, when it goes back to her, there is no way that they could have, if they wanted to, reapply some tears to reapply and it wasn't just tears i mean there was, was snot there I mean, was white snot and yeah, yeah there's definitely that was that was a one that one was take a shot. one take and it was powerful so so powerful like again this movie has already been winning a ton of awards and it, it will most likely continue to do so um but yeah so back back to the movie before we go into all of the the accolades um the movie, again, minimal set, and it does, the way that the characters move around each other, especially in the beginning, <laughs> is like they're moving around a set. A movie that did the opposite of this is the movie Rent that came out. Another musical. The stage production of that has one giant set and a couple pieces that change in the middle. The movie, man, they went all over the place. I mean, it was New York. They were riding around. They were doing all of this. This one decided to take that, again, <laughs> respect to the theater approach and keep it very minimal. So one of the other shining moments of this movie, uh, an actor, and I, I might be pronouncing this wrong again, uh, McKelty Williamson as Gabriel Maxson, who plays Troy's brother, Denzel Washington's character's brother. This actor, oh my gosh, is phenomenal really really good and it was only until after the movie I was like okay who is this guy where have I seen him have I seen him and then I found out that he was actually in Forrest Gump as Bubba oh, so here's the problem though isn't it I mean here's an actor who is in danger of becoming typecast as somebody with brain problems yeah and I mean looking at his IMDB page he has done a lot of TV uh, which is is fine, you know. It is it is whatever, um, but in this movie, in Fences, he was 
tremendous. To play somebody with mental difficulties, regardless of what it is. You know, you can look back and think of Leonardo DiCaprio in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, uh, Dustin Hoffman in, uh, the, I almost said The Running Rain Man. Man. <laughs> the Running Man. The Running Man. And Rain Man, like, it takes a, a special type of actor to realize. Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. Yeah, exactly. But well, here's, the, here's, I mean, here's yeah. the problem, though. I mean, sort of each of them has done one mm-hmm. of those in a high-profile movie. Mm-hmm. This guy's got to really be careful because this is two, probably his two highest profile movies and he's playing a mentally disabled guy in both of them. Yeah, because other than, other than a bunch of TV shows, yeah, the, the, you might be right. This, this might be, you know, those two movies could be his biggest things. Um, but he is such a tremendous actor. I want to see him in more things. I just, I don't know what those will be. But his character was heartbreaking. It was, again, authentic. Uh, yeah, Re- really, really tremendous performances by everybody in-, in this movie. Small cast. There were seven people kind of in the main cast, mm-hmm. which is, again, being true to the play. I thought, I mean, I agree with you mostly on that, uh, the, the main characters. I mean, obviously Denzel can do very Jeez. little wrong also viola uh the the main son character Corey, mm-hmm. i didn't think he was as strong a presence in the film as he could have been certainly compared to denzel and viola well, okay, okay and, come on <laughs> but again if you i i agree that he might not be as strong but again if you're comparing him to oscar winners and oscar nominees I, that is a tough road to follow uh, but yes, I mean he he was he was good. He was not great. He was not as good as the other two. Um, but I think his awkwardness as a character kind of fit with his awkwardness. At, you know, just kind of it it made sense. Um, even when he was becoming more confident and and wanted to be kind of you know the bigger man. You know, it it was it was not as believable because I think he played that character pretty well. Uh, okay okay i could i mean I, you know if, if cuba gooding jr was like 30 years younger i could have yeah. seen him doing a much stronger performance in that role for instance yeah i guess um so with august wilson with the playwright and talk about him a little bit because this is somebody who i started researching after this and i definitely am going to be researching more and reading some of his other plays but he lived here, right? Yeah, he was an, certainly an interesting character. He lived in Seattle, um, home of About to Review, uh, <laughs> for about 15 years, from 1990 to his death in 2005. He'd been around a bit. He was born in uh, Pittsburgh in mm-hmm. 1945, lived there uh, before moving, I think, to uh, Minnesota, and then from there to Seattle. So he'd been around the country, mm-hmm. uh, playwright. Uh, wrote uh, a bunch of plays, um, most famously a cycle of 10 plays based in Pittsburgh, I believe. All of them, I think. <laughs> I could be yeah, correct I think on so. that. Um, each set in a different decade of the 20th century. Um, what an interesting concept. And an interesting background himself. He's a, a mixed race, uh, a white father, white uh, German a uh, Sudeten German father and uh, a black African, black African American. <laughs> Are they different? Um, uh, and, yeah, South, okay, South all right, African. all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, an African American mother, uh, you know, 
in the, you know sort of like in in this period the 1940s wow that is not an easy time to mm-hmm. to uh to be mixed race uh, um, spoiler alert it is not easy now just saying <laughs> but continue <laughs> oh <laughs> Oh, that's now we could talk about that. I think, um, and very pale skin. Uh, uh, you know, considered himself to be, uh, uh, you know, African American or, or I guess black back in in those days. Um, very pale skinned. If you if you looked at him, you know, you think there's a, a white playwright. But he was very much uh, an, a, a black playwright. He wrote mm-hmm. on the on the black experience in America. Um, so yeah an, an intriguing person uh and hasn't gotten nearly as high a profile theatrically as as some of his contemporaries but yep. um you know was, was when i first moved to seattle he was very big in seattle because hey he was he was our uh our playwright essentially our one famous playwright yeah so yeah interesting person yeah i mean again it it makes me wish that i knew of him when you know he was around and to see some of the the plays but i definitely want to to read some of those i think it's called like the pittsburgh cycle or something like that the 10 plays um another thing with the movie and how it ties into the play this movie had the smallest if not yeah if not one of the smallest scores musical scores of any movie i have seen there were maybe if i were to if you were to take all of the music and combine it 10 minutes of music in this entire movie and that was pretty incredible the more i thought about it because again if you, if you were to see this on stage the music would only probably go between the acts mm-hmm. you know to kind of shift yeah. shift tone they kind of stuck with that and i thought that was another bold choice in the 50s and 60s especially in pittsburgh they could easily have turned on the radio and they could have played some songs that all of us would know. But they did not. And I really liked that they made that choice, a conscious choice to be like, we're going to let the performances speak for themselves. Yeah, I, honestly, I didn't even notice that. And maybe I didn't notice it because, you know, you don't yeah. need it in exactly. a theatrical type film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because so often <laughs> music in movies, they, they want the music to drive the emotion and want you to feel that this yeah it didn't need it, did it? <laughs> not at all you let, they let the performances shine through and be like no there does not need to be like the building suspense of the music leading up to the scene just watch it yeah just just believe it here's here's a thing um here's a question for you john mm-hmm. um you see it this did not really speak to me in any super meaningful way i appreciated the powerful acting performances mm-hmm. i i thought the sort of interactions were were very strong between the 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 lead actors i could un- certainly understand the themes but they they weren't very personal themes to me to me to me it seems like you would find these themes to be more personal yeah i i had a i had a rough time with this movie uh <laughs> when when andy and i left the theater and you know we were just kind of talking and i was like i need to process this for for a bit um, so I, I really related to this movie on on a lot of different levels, both from where it took place and when it took place and the stories and the people that I had been around my whole life who lived this type of story. It just, yeah, it was it was very emotional. Um, and yeah, there, there were a couple of times, not only 
does Viola Davis's crying performance get to you, but just the interactions, just the conversations between the characters. I I have seen those. I have been around those. The just the way it was filmed, the way it was shot, and where it was shot. So yeah, this this movie definitely resonated with me a lot. Um, like I said, for a lot of different reasons, and not just the amazing performances. So yeah, uh, I'm glad that. Uh, I'm glad that even though, and I think that speaks to the strength of the film, even though you might not be able to directly relate to it from your life, you can still recognize the power that it has. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, I definitely want to. I, I would be remiss in talking about this movie without talking about the incredible production that this was. When I say that, Take, take this into consideration. This movie started filming April 25th, 2016. It wrapped filming June 14th of 2016. Post-production was completed in mid-November. It was released December 16th. Uh, for people who don't really know film, they <laughs> won't understand about what a breakneck pace that, that is, is for filmmaking. Insane. <laughs> to do any... like. So, yeah, for most movies, you shoot for three months. This shot in about a month and a half and then finished editing. Like, they had a finished product in six months. That is insanity. <laughs> and just, I mean, I think they did that for a couple reasons. One, they wanted to get in before the Oscar deadline, which is totally fine. But I think also they relied on the strength of Denzel Washington, who also directed this, we, we, yeah, we definitely need to talk about that. He directed this, he starred in the play with Viola Davis. They know the play, in and out. They knew how they wanted to shoot it, and they just, they were like, all right, guys, we just need to go. So I think that, like I talked about earlier, the one-cut takes that they did are very evident. Because on a play, you got one shot. And I think that they captured that. They did. I'm, I'm just thinking though. I'm gonna point out one. I'm gonna give them an allowance for this mm. because of how quickly that was made. This film had at least two magical bottles of gin. Yes. The gin <laughs> level went up and down and mm -hmm. up and down depending on on things go. So yes, some of the emotional scenes with Viola Davis may have been shot in a single take, but some of the other scenes most certainly were not. And the continuity person was not paying attention to how much gin was in that bottle <laughs> at any particular point. I'll just fill it. I put a little bit. No, I'll take a little bit out. You know, whatever. Yeah. I did notice that. I even wrote that down. I said inconsistencies in this movie are forgivable <laughs> because again, <laughs> they shot for like four weeks. Like, this is crazy. So, I mean, yeah, the, the fence in the title is also a literal fence in the movie. Uh, there was also some magic going on with that fence. There, there were some things that did not really make sense. But completely forgivable because, again, from concept to filming to editing to producing to then releasing, which is why if people are kind of wondering where this movie came from, if you started seeing trailers being like, how is this winning so many awards? It was because they just rushed through it. I remember seeing one promo video, and it was a comparison of James Earl Jones on stage in Fences with Denzel Washington in the movie. That was it. Because when the movie wrapped in November and then released in December, that does not give them much time to be like, hey, everybody, go see this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, with the shooting schedule, huge, huge props to the whole production team and Delta Washington for knowing exactly how he wanted to shoot this. So, yeah. Um, I think that was... I think that was all I had for, for that one. Okay. How about you go first on this? All right, I will. Um, you know... <laughs> you are hesitating, and that really worries me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm still going to give it a good, but I'm going to give it the same kind of level of good as La La Land for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting. The acting in this is uh, super powerful. Mm-hmm. Ah, shoot, you know, Denzel doesn't do bad acting as far as I can work he, out. Yeah, he he might do some bad movie choices, but sure. as far as his acting, you are right. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a consummate professional when it comes to this stuff, so uh, well impressed by that and Viola Davis uh, ditto. Um, I, 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 I don't give it like a super enthusiastic uh, good mostly because, again, it seems like it's too theatrical. I think they could have taken a few more liberties or gone a little further outside of the theatrical uh, box because, um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see it in the theatre than watch it in the movie. But I know that, you know, hey, Denzel's not going to be doing it in the theatre for me. So here's <laughs> where I get to see him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good. It's not like a super enthusiastic uh, good. It's a, it's a la-la land good. <laughs> interesting uh with me uh, yeah just w- without question with how powerful this was with how much i could relate to it how much it meant to me this was a good the inconsistencies inconsistencies in it are forgivable the the not as strong performance as the sun compared to denzel washington and viola davis is forgivable uh this movie is tremendous like i i highly highly recommend this movie keep in mind when you go to see this this is not your average movie and i mean that in the best way the score is very minimal the way it is staged is very different the way it is shot and filmed like this is a different type of movie but definitely definitely go and see this so yeah it gets a very enthusiastic good from me not surprising with how much i waxed poetic on it (laughs) um yeah uh, any anything else with with either of these two contenders for every award imaginable? Yeah, no, no. I'm just, you know, I I know we're kind of wrapping up 2016 with uh, some of these films and stuff. I just think I'm not gonna be super impressed by the Oscars, and what that means is I'm hopeful that 2017 will for me be a better filmic year. Hmm. Interesting. I think this year's Oscars will have some surprises, and and so I I think that will help. Um, Barry Jenkins. I really hope that Moonlight, Moonlight when it was cleaning up on the independent circuit, sure. Getting, stepping up to the Oscars, I hope it gets recognized at the same level as some of the other films that had much bigger budgets and much flashier things. So yeah, this Oscars is going to be interesting. Well, not not least because of the political issues that have mm-hmm. happened over the last couple of years, and um, Oscars so wide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, what will be interesting for me is that that we actually do have some really decent contenders. Um, which involve um, actors of uh, and, and directors of pe- people of color mm-hmm. this year, and 
it would be I would be so surprised if we don't have at least two or three Oscars going to African American actors yep. and uh, directors. And that is the thing is Viola Davis and Denzel Washington when they were on the stage production. I forgot to mention this in 2010 when they did this production of Fences on stage, they both won a Tony for their performances, which is for those of you you know might be listening might not follow stage. That is the highest accolade you can get for stage acting. So they are gunning for those Oscars. And he might not get it for directing because I think people might, you know, not look at it as... I think the directing of La La Land is what people are mainly looking for in the Academy. Mm. The directing of this is much simpler. We talked about it a lot. And so I just... They, he might not get it for directing, but best actor, man. Like, he, he was incredible. So, all right. So there, there we go. Uh, we talked about our goodest of the good, our baddest of the bad, and our ugliest <laughs> of the uglies of 2016. Yes, uh, we did. As well as La La Land, which we both gave a good, uh, and Fences, which we also both gave a good. So for for this podcast that you have been listening to, thank you for, for listening. And Andy, I don't say this enough, slash I might not have ever, ever. Um, but thank you, Andy, for being part of this journey. For those of you uh, listening. Andy has been a part of this since it was just a little inkling of an idea that I had. And we actually have two episodes that we recorded that have never been released that were our test episodes. So if you go to, look at that segue, if you go to <laughs> patreon.com slash about to review and pitch in a few dollars, uh, I, there's some bonus content on the website. So yeah, but realistically though, thank you Andy for joining me on this journey of, of just kind of self-expression and creativity as always it's a pleasure john fantastic and you can find the podcast on facebook twitter and instagram at about to review uh if you go on itunes you can subscribe leave a five-star review those are always awesome you can listen to it on the website aboutreview.com you can listen to it on stitcher stitcher.com on blueberry on Podbay. it is all over the place thank you for listening uh, thank you for this amazing 2016, and I hope 2017 will be filled with even more amazing movies, and maybe a hardcore Henry sequel. <laughs> yeah, give me an aspirin. Right. Uh, so, for this episode, I have been that guy named John. And I've been Dr. Andy. And we will see you next time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, at Vexing Media.